Welcome to Making Money, the podcast with the financial coach, Ron Hebert, former portfolio manager, now retired. I'm Gord Whitehead, retired broadcaster. Well, Ron, you and I both have families. We both have youngsters. Uh, our kids are grown. They're away from the nest. They've been educated. But there's a lot of people that are facing that prospect with young families. How do we save for our youngsters' education? Because we keep seeing the numbers, and the numbers for tuition and, and costs and things keep rising year in and year out, and it becomes a real concern. Absolutely. You look at the cost of a post-secondary education today, and living at home, it's 9000 roughly $300 per year. And living away from home is $20,000 a year. And so a four-year education, if you know you live in a rural area and you have to send your kids to a bigger center to go to school, it's going to cost you eighty grand after four years, which is an enormous amount of money. And the idea that high school cuts it these days, it just doesn't. Maybe occupations have changed, but the financial advantage that a university education hasn't. In the U.S., the average earnings with a high school degree are $35,000 a year. A bachelor's degree are $65,000. An advanced degree is $92,000. The unemployment rate by degree is 5.2% for less than high school, 4.2% for a high school diploma, 3.6% for some college, and 2.1% for college or higher. So there's just an enormous financial advantage for you helping your kids get an education. And obviously, you want to do the right style of education. I mean, you figure if a kid is smart enough, Gord, to be able to pass all the exams going to university, that they should be smart enough to figure out before they start that the education they're getting is actually going to give them a job when they come out the other end. You know, I see so many kids coming out of school now, and they've got huge amounts of debt, 40, 60, 80 grand worth of, of debt that they're carrying. And they have no reasonable prospects to get a job. You know, maybe a degree in Iraqi antiquities isn't going to give you a job when you come out. You need to be thinking about those things as well. But for the average kid that goes to school, the advantages are amazing. You're setting them up for life if they can get a good education. It could be a technical education or obviously going to university, but education is the tool these days. Well, and it's, you know, I mean, my mom and dad preached to me about, you know, furthering my education, and I made that mistake. I guess looking back on it, I, I probably should have got more schooling, but I chose to go into the workforce, and I was, you know, pretty lucky. I got into an industry where I was able to excel, and, and that's all good. But I know I, I, I harped at our sons about, you get your education, and they both they both got you know graduate degrees, post secondary education. They both have good jobs. It, it's the reward that comes with that effort. But to get there, as you say, the number can be pretty expensive, right? And a very interesting statistic I saw from a California study that was actually done, I think, at uh, University of Southern California. They looked at kids, and they broke it down into two groups: kids that had to skin in the game and had to pay for their part, at least part of their own education, and kids that were just essentially living off their parents. Their parents were putting the footing the bill. And the kids that had skin in the game, that had to earn sweat equity to pay for some of these classes, 
they did considerably better in school than the kids that didn't. So if you can't afford to pay for all your kids' education, you're actually doing them a favor by getting them to work and pay for some of it because generally they're going to work harder and they're going to get better grades because they've got a piece of the, you know, if they're skipping class that day and then they have to work for a couple of hours to be able to pay for that hour in class, maybe they'll think twice about going to the beach. Anecdotally, uh, we got caught in that situation when our youngsters were approaching university time. Uh, the financial collapse happened. And I had, I had their RESPs, their Registered Education Savings Plans, in a different place than my other investments. And, and frankly, I dropped the ball. I didn't keep an eye on things. And I thought I had enough money there to, to cover the four years, but we had a shortfall. So I had a discussion with both the boys. I said, look, here's the deal. The first three years, you're good, you're golden, it's taken care of. That last year, and in one son's case, he, he took extra two years of his education, you're going to have to foot the bill. And they, you know, came out, they graduated with small student loans, not big ones, relatively small, but they had to pay them off. So that's what you're talking about. They, and, and we've had discussions subsequent to that. They said, you know, Dad, that was really actually not a bad situation. It made us a little bit more responsible. <laughs> so there's a, essentially a four-pronged approach to savings for your kid's education. There's the registered educational savings plan. There's in-trust accounts. There's RRSPs called the Lifelong Learning Plan, and there's tax-free savings accounts that you can use. So we'll essentially go back and unpack each one of these ideas a little bit at a time. Let's start with registered educational savings plans. The 20,000-foot view is a parent can contribute up to $2,500 per year to an educational savings plan. And if the kid is 17 or under, you get a 20% grant from the government. So if you put up 2,500 bucks- You get 500 from the government. You get 500 from the government, which is one of the few things that I can actually think of <laughs> where the government is sending you money. Yeah. So that's a good place to start. And the plans can have a life of 36 years and can have a maximum contribution of $50,000 in them. So that is a good place to start. You can have an educational savings plan for your kids. Parents and grandparents can contribute to that. So especially around Christmas time. You know, you go to somebody's place on New Year's Day or the first week of January, that pile of junk that they got from their grandparents that, and everyone else, that's already in a corner and it will probably never be looked at again. If you wanna actually do something that will have a long-term impact on your kid's life rather than something that they can play with over Christmas and then it's going to be on the curb by no later than summer is put money in an educational savings plan for them because that is something that will actually help them their whole life. Now, good point. You know, the envelope on the Christmas tree from grandma and granddad with a check in it, never a bad thing. <laughs> never. So now what are in trust for accounts? Well, as we talked about on our tax show last week, is if you give money and put it in your kid's account and they're under 18 years old and they earn dividends or interest on it, it's taxed back to you. And of course, 
that takes a lot of the advantage away from doing that. Now, one of the things that you can do is you can set up an in-trust for account and you can put money in that account and you want to do this when your kids are 18. When they get to be 18, then they take control over the account. But the one investment that you can make that isn't taxed back in your hands is capital gains. So you could buy stock that doesn't pay a dividend. Berkshire Hathaway, Amazon, Google. Google, right. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of names out there of companies that are unlikely to pay dividends. I mean, Warren Buffett hasn't paid a dividend in 35, 40 years. Unlikely he's going to start. So that stock can go in there, it can compound, and then when it's sold to pay for the kid's education, the tax is all in the kid's name. So setting up an in-trust for account and then buying things that produce capital gains is a very tax-efficient way to put gains in the kid's name. And it's also useful so that let's say your kid graduates from high school and decides that, you know, it's very lucrative for me to go work for a guy who will train me. Maybe I need a set of tools. So, you know, not so much today, but even back a couple of years ago, you could go work in the oil patch and they would sort of train you on the job, but often you need to bring your own tools. You needed a four by four. Uh, you needed to have special gear because you're working outside in the winter, fire retardant suits, all the stuff that needed to work in a more hazardous environment. Well, that might sit you back 20 or 30 grand. Well, if you had that money in a trust for account, your kid isn't going to university. There's no penalty for taking that money out of the entrust account out and using it for educational purposes, things that will help your kid get ahead or maybe buying a house. And so entrust accounts have the advantages because they also have a lot more flexibility. You're not locked in like an RESP. And that's one thing I think to digress back to the RESPs, that there is an exposure there, is there not? If the, if the youngster doesn't go to university, doesn't that money come back to mom and dad at some point? Well, yeah, the money comes back to um, to mom and dad. Now, if mom and dad have a an RRSP where they haven't made contributions in the last few years, you can generally roll that a roll that across. So, if you are starting to get suspicious that your kid isn't coming home till four o'clock in the morning, <laughs> and the trash can's full of beer bottles, and uh, there's all kinds of telltale signs that uh, maybe the kid is going to be a deadbeat. It might not be a bad idea for you to not make your RSP contributions for the first cut for the, you know, maybe their high school years so that if they there don't go room. to school, yeah, if they don't go to school, there's some room for you to take the educational savings plan money and, and transfer, transfer it over. Also, in my case, I always had educational savings plans. I had family plans. So I had four kids. So I had one, one of my uh, sons who didn't go to university, but I had the rest of them did. So I took the contributions that were made to the, the, son, the son number four or kid number four, and I spread them out among the other three. Now you'll lose the educational uh, the bonus? That, yeah, you'll lose that 20% uh, grant from the government that you put in for the fourth child, but still the money is in there. So I found with four kids especially, and I had a lot of money put away, and uh, two of them went on for postgraduate work, that all that money, and I contributed the maximum every year, all that money was burned up. 
And so at least I wasn't in debt, and they weren't in debt when they got out of school. Now, this is something I've never heard of before, the RRSP Lifelong Learning Plan. I, I, I must have missed that one. Please explain. Well, with the Lifelong Learning Plan, what you can do is, let's say at 18, you decide, I'm going to go out work for a while, and all of a sudden, the light came on at 25, and you said, you know, I think I'm going to go back to school. And your employer maybe had contributed to your RSP, you'd contributed to your RSP, so maybe... By the mid-20s, you decide, I don't want to work outside in the cold anymore. I want to go back to school. But you've got 30 or 40 grand in RSP. What the government allows you to do is they allow you to borrow up to $20,000 from your RSP at no interest. So you can take this out as an interest-free loan. And you have to start paying it back in five years, after, and you have to pay it back at a minimum of 10% a year. Otherwise, you'll lose, the, you'll lose the tax benefit. So if you're finding it hard, student loans aren't working for you, parents aren't able to help, if you've accumulated a nice nest egg in your RSP, well, there's $20,000 that you can take out and that's available for you. And as we said previously, you look at how much extra money you'll learn over your lifetime with an education. And because you can take this out literally tax-free, and interest-free, there's no interest costs, and you don't pay tax on it if you, if you refund it back, this is an excellent use of that money for an education that'll pay you a massive premium over your lifetime to get. That's fascinating. I have not heard about that one. TFSAs, well, of course, we've talked about them. We've done a show on them. We've referenced them several times. This is your money growing tax-free in the plan. Yeah, so if you have a need, like I say, especially for later lifers, where, like I say, you're 25, 30, 35, and you are received an email from your, the HR department at work saying that you're now unemployed, maybe you have to go back to school, and you've accumulated a nice tax-free savings account. Well, you can take the money out of the account tax-free, use it for education, and then you'll have a carry for it. If you wait a year, you can start putting it back. So take it out, you can put it back in. But that's another source of funds that I don't think a lot of people pay attention to. All right, and the final one here is, is, is a little bit of advice about buying stocks when the youngsters are young. You want to get them into stocks that are going to continue to grow so that they get the benefit at 18 or 20 or whatever the age might be. So... Your time consideration is really important when you consider how much risk that you want to take in your portfolio. I know when my kids turned about 16, I converted most of their investments to bonds and I laddered them so I had money coming due every year. So with I didn't have to worry if the market dropped 50 or 60% that the money was going to be half gone. But if you start these plans when your kids are really young, you know, two, three, four, five, even up to 10, you can put virtually all that money into stock market because, frankly, over the longer term, stocks have outperformed everything by a country mile. So the first years, even if you have a downturn in the market, they've got a long runway to recover, you know, 15, 16, 17 years maybe, to recover from any pull back in the marketplace. So if you want to maximize how much they have for an education and their kids are young, put them in some high quality stocks or ETFs or funds that 
buy those kind of, of investments and let it just sit there for the long term. And the statistics on this are, are just absolutely, to me, mind-boggling. Some of the stories I've read over the years, it's so important to save for your youngster's education because if you don't and you incur that debt, some of those numbers are staggering. When you see the kind of debt load that these, these youngsters are carrying when they get out of post-secondary education, it'll take them forever to pay it back, right? Oh, especially if you start looking at education that requires them to go to an expensive school. Like maybe your kids are smart enough to go to MIT or to Harvard or to one of the big oh, Ivy boy. schools. <laughs> you know, I mean, Harvard is a hundred grand a year. Yeah. And obviously you're probably not gonna be able to cover that with an educational savings plan, but even in Canada, to get a specialized education where you're having to pay for lab costs and field trips, like these things can really add up. So, you know, look at RESPs, intrust accounts, RSPs, TFSAs, whatever you have to do, get that education. Okay, there you go. Important to get the youngsters educate, educated, important to save for it along the way and to start early. Let's get to a question here. We have one sent to us from Danny. It says, hi, Ron, I've listened to your show for years and I'm now listening to the podcasts. I've loved your advice on specific topics or sectors and then your picks in that sector. Uh, he throws a few out, Rip Van Winkle, Bulletproof Portfolio, and all those things. I'm retiring in the next year at about age 58 or so and will fund my retirement from my investments. I'd like to hear a show on how to tax efficiently start taking income out of my portfolio. Uh, what are your suggestions there? Well, I think that that is a massive topic. So what I'd like to do is you've given me a long runway. Give me a few weeks to prep something. And Gordon and I will do a complete show on that because that's a show that really needs some time to fully unpack all the ideas and explain them properly. There's a lot of strategy involved in this. So uh, give me two weeks. Gordon and I will whip up a show and we'll present it as one of our podcasts. And it's such a moving target for them. You know, some of the 58s are relatively young age to retire at. And so you've got, you know, potentially you're going to live to be, let's say, 85. I don't know what the, the average age in Canada is now. It's sometime in the early 80s, I believe, statistically. So you've got, you know, 24, 25 years that you're going to deal with there. Uh, that, that takes some planning, doesn't it? Yeah, not only where to take the money out, but how much money should you take out to make sure that you don't run out of your money and you're sitting on a bench eating cat food like the classic comic strips you see all the time. So it's not only what money you take out, but how much and when. Okay, so we'll get to that in a future one. Hopefully, Danny, you can bear with us on that. If you have questions, you can send them directly to Ron, correct? Absolutely. We'd be happy to take your questions. You can email them to money at cfcw.com and we'll put them up as fast as we get them. So as you leave here today, the first thing you should be doing is running somewhere and sticking some money in a jar for your youngster's education. Good plan. If you don't take anything else away from this episode, that's the one thing you should have. That's it from the financial coach, Ron Hebert. It's called Making Money. I'm Gord Whitehead. Thanks for joining us. The information presented is derived from sources believed to be reliable. This material is presented for information purposes only and does not constitute investment advice. Before acting on any investment information, a person should seek advice from an investment professional. The presenters may or may not hold positions in the securities discussed on this show and will not be responsible for any losses sustained from acting on this information.